0: Everybody. Welcome to our town hall at ASW. This is your director, John Zerflew, here at the American School of Warsaw. We're so happy that you're joining us. I can see that we've got about 32 already in the room, and we've got a few of us here in the Zoom room ready to begin talking to you tonight and hopefully get a chance to answer whatever your remaining questions are that are still roaming in your mind. Uh, we'll tee that up fairly quickly and spend much of our time tonight Uh, going through that. Uh, But I want to start with just a couple of quick little updates, if you'll allow me. Um, And for that purpose, I'm going to just get my screen ready here and share. And so here we are with Facebook Live. Uh, It's August 12th, obviously. And uh, this is just a quick update of a few things. Um, First of all, I just want to remind everybody of our model and what it is that we're doing here at ASW and getting ready uh, for students to come next week. It's been exciting seeing everyone come through testing and uh, the greetings and getting ready has been wonderful uh, so far. Uh, The tie-in to our core values is there just as a reminder as well. And we're just really excited about the fact that all of our bits and pieces seem to be coming together well as we get ready for our start next week. Um, survey has gone well as well. Uh, you can see that we have kind of maintained a good structure to our survey and a good uh, positive feel. Uh, the six plus rating is still hanging in, a, in the upper 70s. Uh, we're really excited about that and the fact that we've been able to hold on to that through multiple iterations of our survey over the last three weeks. So we're, we're feeling good about that. We know that as we get closer, there's more questions and things that are coming to people's minds, but we still seem to have a solid core. And you'll note that in the newsletter tonight uh, that I sent out, uh, we also confirmed that we have approximately five, five and a half, maybe as high as 6% that are choosing the hybrid option. So that's a that's a good number, and we're working on our plans uh, to be able to serve you in that hybrid option. Uh, and then I just want to remind you where the information is located. So we've got it on Zimplicity. Uh, the COVID-19 fact page has got everything at your fingertips for you to take a look at in terms of How we're opening and all the details associated with it. And then if you scroll down on this page, lots of questions with answers that we're continuing to add to all the time. Um, The other thing that's here is an updated country list and I just want to make sure you know that we keep updating this on a regular basis and anyone returning from these countries will require that seven-day waiting period before testing and return to school. And that's true now as well as it will be true in the future. You'll be wanting to reference that list in case there are any future travels. Hopefully, we're going to reduce the traveling and we're going to uh, reduce the degree to which we do that out of deference to the risk and safety. But I just want to make sure and, and point that out. Um, So that's it. I want to do a little quick introduction though uh, of some of the people that are with me tonight. In particular, um, I wanted to uh, give a chance to say hi to Carol Jordan. So Carol, our Director of Teaching and Learning, um, she's here tonight and I just, Carol, you want to talk about what you've been seeing going on Mm -hmm. around the building over the last uh, 48 hours as we're starting to get ready for (laughs) kids to come? Yeah, um,
1: evening John, evening everyone who's listening. Um, as we usually do these, these five days before we welcome students back on the campus every year, um, we do a lot of planning to, to get ready to, to welcome um, the kids back. It's really, really important for them to have a great first day and a great first week. Um, they're filled with um, lots of anxiety often about what school is going to be like and, and who their teachers are going to be and and who their friends will be and who will be in the same class as them and they're all things that teachers are are working on and and planning for the for the year and of course this year is is especially um, different because we're bringing students back to a a school that's going to look really really different um, to what they remember it to be way back in in march so what have teachers been working on they've been um, working in, in teams, curricular um, teams, grade level teams um, to start preparing for the, the opening of, of school. Um, we've had teams of teachers who are looking at kind of the operational side of opening school with, with all these measures that we're putting in place regarding safety. Um, we've got teams looking at, well, what does it mean for the schedule? What does it mean for how students move through the building? Um, all those sorts of things. We have teams of people considering that and and planning for that. Um, We have got teams of teachers looking at hybrid learning and what that's going to look like, reflecting on what we know is most powerful about the way kids learn when they're together on campus, building on what we have learned about what students um, enjoyed most from, from the virtual learning experience and kind of bringing that all together, all that wisdom and knowledge and thinking about what that's going to look like in a hybrid learning environment. Um, what instructional strategies can we use? Which ones do we have to adapt and, and modify? And what kind of tools are we going to need? What kind of tech tools we're going to be needing? So teachers are, are, are having all these conversations at the moment. They're in, in, in day two of those conversations. Tomorrow, I'm looking forward to a number of teams are reporting back. Um, on on the design work that they've been doing, um, and putting forward their their suggestions for um, how we're going to to open school. Um, another thing I think that's been really really important is is social emotional learning, and and right across the school we've been talking a lot about that. I mean one thing that we have learned as a as a community and as a society and a world is is through this this pandemic, which is still affecting us, we have learned that what is going to get us through is our connection to one another, our sense of belonging, and our sense of community. And that's going to be really, really important. And so we're talking a lot about what that's going to look like, how we're going to maintain that, how we're going to nurture that, because we will need to lean on one another um, moving forward. Um, and we're going to be have, able to support the the students. And also be able to support one another and support our parents as well. So that's another big part of the conversation um, that we've been having this week.
0: And that really started us off on, on Tuesday morning was this whole idea of how we would have to get our heads around how we teach and learn in the context of these new ideas, these things that we've learned through the spring but more importantly, how can we embed those and make them sustainable for the long-term, for the time ahead? And, and you, you, you correctly point out that it's gonna be about creating a sense of community, us all protecting each other in the context of, of the things both that we're teaching, but also that we're modeling and doing. Do you have a sense, uh, Carol, of how much from spring is infecting the conversations, things learned, if you will, and the degree to which that's helping to guide our process?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the last two days have been so much about reflecting on what went well, what we need to adapt, lots of questions being asked um, from the experiences that we've had, how are we gonna move it forward? How are we gonna adapt? Um, how are we gonna remain uh, flexible? We know that, that that we're living with this pandemic, it's it's not going to go away. And so we're kind of building our capacity to be able to um, be flexible and adapt moving on. Um, and so it's it's been it's been huge. You know, experience mm-hmm. is the best teacher. Yep. And we have a lot of really positive experiences that we've had. We've had really, really positive feedback. The feedback that we've had from students, from staff, from from parents throughout the spring has been invaluable in helping um, frame the work that, that we need to do moving forward.
0: Also, I think you, and, and you probably have a sense of this as well, is how much have uh, teachers, and I know you have, because you've been plugged into this, uh, plugged into others around the world, basically the, the global job alikes and what people are gleaning. I know most particularly about like the performing and visual arts people, because I know the music teachers Um, in their group have talked a lot about what they've learned from other music teachers who opened school in the springtime and implemented procedures and practices for that. But what other things have you seen in terms of the global reach of our learning in this process?
1: Yeah, Um, I think one thing that was really significant for me is, is usually during the summer break, teachers take a summer break, and they don't traditionally do a lot of professional development. It's time for them to recharge Um, Over the summer, there were so many um, teachers who who made requests to connect with other educators globally um, through online professional development. Um, So so a lot of teachers in our school were reflecting and how can I connect and find more um, from my colleagues in other schools. So there was a huge amount of professional learning and reflection that happened over the the holiday. to help get people set up and in in the right frame for for starting um, the year. There are so many opportunities out there. Um, All the professional learning that we did in the past, all the providers that uh, that provided um, this kind of professional development have also all had to pivot. They've all gone online. There are some really, really interesting um, uh, opportunities out there for, for teachers. And um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been wonderful. In fact, there's, there's, there's so much choice. There was a lot of choice before, but there's, but there's even more now. And, and teachers are um, really getting together in their subject discipline. So we're seeing music teachers getting together with other music teachers globally. Um, you know, math teachers getting together, um, wanting to learn from um, their peers and other school who are in similar situations or teach similar um, subjects to them that they can learn from one
0: another. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, it's it's also worth noting that um, CESA has chosen this format for all of its offerings this year. So uh, all of the PD events, we're obviously not traveling. We're making the choice to stay safe and keep our staff here and not uh, you know get on planes to various CESA events like we've done in past years. Um, but the virtual offerings are going to explode, there's going to be so many opportunities for these people to connect and take on uh, classes and build cohorts around things. Um, Is there some degree of excitement kind of starting to build out there for that as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there is every day in my email box, I'm getting more and more of these opportunities uh, are, are popping up. Um, yeah, there is, there is so much out there. Um, and even just this morning, um, John had an email from CESA, the, the March conference, which is our annual conference was, was canceled in March and they're going to do it online.
0: Yep, <laughs> on virtual 12. conference coming up. I saw um, that.
1: <laughs> and so very, very exciting opportunity, uh, for, for our teachers and, and teachers around the world. Um, you can be the thing with online learning and virtual learning. You can connect from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's a wonderful opportunity.
0: Excellent. Well, Carol, thank you. I really appreciate it. And stay on tap here because we're going to hopefully see if we have any questions. I want to do a shout out to parents at this point and say, remember that in the chat stream um, in uh, Facebook, you can start asking your questions there. We're prepared. We've got administrators here as well as uh, Dr. Olichuk, who's waiting right here. I'm going to talk to him next for just a minute. Um, And then if you want to join us in the Zoom meeting, uh, the link is in the chat stream and you're welcome to click on that, abandon Facebook and come over and join us. There's about a 15, 20 second lag between the two feeds. So you'll have to turn off your Facebook feed to come join us in the Zoom room. But if you want to come over there and raise your hand virtually and uh, ask a direct question, you're welcome to join us there as well. And I'll just kind of keep an eye over there to make sure that I'm running both pages as I'm looking here. Um, but uh, do ask your questions tonight. This is really mostly aimed at at giving you a chance while we give you a snapshot of all the work that we're doing. And so I'm going to kind of go around the room, but Dr. Olashuk, you're here with us again. And I thank you so much, sir, for being on tap. Um, What's the latest from you? Any new insights, things that you want to share with us? Uh, Testing's going well crossing fingers, knock on wood, no positives yet. Uh, and so we're hopeful that that'll continue on all the way through testing. But um, how are, how's expert doing? And how are you feeling about the process and where we're at and how it's going? Well, you know, I, I want to echo what Carol was just saying
2: that, uh, you know, the world has uh, become uh, such a small place these days, because, you know, we don't have to travel anywhere to actually get access to everybody. And and people are kind of very, you know, open to share, open to reach out, open to receive our requests. Uh, so uh, I have felt it as well. You know, I had the reflection yesterday uh, when uh, I was beginning my medical career 20 years ago. Uh, I had my first uh, patient was uh, a woman pregnant with uh, Siamese twins, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, then when she gave birth uh, through C-section you know, the the head of the department said, well, you know, you have to do something with these uh, these babies. And I said, what do I do? Well, you know, you have to arrange for a separation surgery. And, you know, it was a time when kind of email was just starting, you know, and uh, the World Wide Web was just starting, but it was still dial up. And, you know, I I remember at that time, (laughs) I reached out to uh, a a few kind of preeminent, uh, you know, surgeons around the world via email, via dial-up, so writing an email and sending was like a process of like one hour, basically. And uh, then uh, receiving the email back was another process of one hour. And then finally, I narrowed down on the, you know on this great surgeon in, uh, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And he said, okay, so uh, yes, you, first you have to do these tests. you know, And then I went to the head of the department, the radiology department and said, okay, here are the patients and here are the tests that you need to do. And she looks at the test and she's like, I know this one, I know this one, but the other eight, I don't know how to do.
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it, it reminds me that at that time, you know, the world was also small, but it was just taking a long time. Now everything is kind of in real time.
0: Well, the pace and, yeah, is, is amazing now. The compared pace is amazing, that, right?
2: especially with COVID, you know, we, we kind of, we're kind of learning new things on a daily basis and on a daily basis, New things are coming up, which has its, you know, its caveats as well, because uh, a lot of the stuff that is published is not really validated mm-hmm. yet. And we are, um, you know, so far as for the last 500, 600 years, we've been managing pandemics through lockdowns. That was the safe, the most effective way and the only way. Right. And this is the only time, the first time we are really dealing with a pandemic of such a magnitude. And such uh, consequences uh, without a lockdown uh, and without kind of letting people go uh, you know uh, wild and uh, like during the Spanish flu when 50 million or hundred million people died and uh, and kind of implementing things like you are implementing in the school. So I think uh, you know from what uh, uh, and I have been reaching out to many schools around the world myself and universities and we were also working with a couple in the US. And uh, what you are doing in the school is absolutely uh, best practice around the world. And there's no other, I think, uh, you know, there are few schools that are doing uh, what you are doing at this stage. And I think it will be worthwhile to share what you are doing widely uh, because a lot of schools will benefit. And we are already getting a lot of calls, obviously, from the school communities, uh, international school communities in uh, Poland um but i think it's it's an absolute uh, worldwide best practice and we're obviously as carol was also saying we're flexible uh we're going to be adapting things uh this is not set in stone you know for the next uh, year uh, it may not even be set in stone for the next month and we are you know i'm i'm up every morning at 4 a.m and i'm browsing through the newest uh Uh, info on COVID and uh, and this is kind of the first two hours of my day is like this and then I'm sharing with John whatever is new and with other uh, partners that we're working with whatever is new and pertinent and uh, and again we will be adapting and uh, and and for us again the main priority is keeping keeping the kids and the staff safe and ensuring that we continue the classroom uh, learning as long as possible again you know uh, as John was saying last time uh, this is not a, a 100% approach, and we will have uh, we will have to be prepared for cases, and we will have to be prepared for you know bigger measures. But I think we have all these uh, protocols in place, and I kind of feel like back you know 20 years ago in the ER that you know I, we you kind of take decisions on the fly, and uh, uh, because you know what to do, you know, and and I and I feel confident that uh, John you know what to do and uh, we will be supporting you along the way.
0: That's great. Hey uh, another uh, an interesting thought just really quickly I know I don't know actually if you have awareness of it but we had Ministry of Education and sanitary guidelines that popped out today the general read of it is it's very much aligned with what we're doing and gives Absolutely. us that broad latitude. Was there anything in there that you found uh, worth mentioning or worth telling? Or is it all pretty much in alignment with what we've got set up in terms of both our clear approach, but also our flexible and agile approach?
2: I think we are, again, we, we antici- we, we, we're kind of anticipating uh, you know, the, the future as much as we can. Uh, and uh, we have to, uh, uh, so, so there's nothing uh, there's nothing extraordinary that I think uh, would be pertinent to, uh, to what we have done. I don't see any modifications that we should be doing. Uh, again, we will be doing at things on a daily or on a weekly basis, like you saw the list of countries was validated again today. Uh, it's based on the government uh, publishing this list again. Uh, we will be looking at masks. I know masks uh, are an important topic, and we will be looking at masks and how to best approach the use of masks. For now, I think the policy is correct, and we will maintain this policy for the next weeks or so. And then we will see. I think the testing approach is uh, is the correct one. I think this whole stop, protect, react uh, framework is the correct one. So the you know the the government guidelines are kind of uh, you know helicopter view. Uh, 10,000 feet uh high we are kind of you know three feet above ground yep what we're doing
0: i'm glad you brought up the mask because that's one of the first questions as we expected <laughs> that's out of the out of the gates here um I, again we tried to explain this last week and saying that this is the appropriate way to start it's also a good safe practice to teach kids so that they're not just using it here at school but yep. they're using it outside of school in various settings it's generally proven. I know there's some controversy out there about uh, potential harm of masks. Can you just enlighten us on that one? The the science doesn't seem to support it, but I want to hear it from you. So,
2: to be honest, I have not seen anything, any evidence um, against the use of masks, or any evidence that would be pointing to long-term consequences for kids of wearing masks. Uh, that's number one. Number two. Uh, I don't think we have a good precedent for, you know, kind of monitoring large cohorts of kids for years who are wearing masks because I don't think we've had that situation before. But um, again, for for now, it doesn't seem like wearing a mask uh, would be in any way having any short-term or long-term consequence. Obviously, short-term, the key ones are uh, kind of any allergies that you may have. But this is quick to notice and quick to resolve because then you know you change the mask uh, to from a cotton to synthetic or vice versa and then you see what the reaction is then there will be there may be some you know issues with the skin irritation okay so uh, you know we have to manage this and there will be some creams and uh, ointments that you can uh, that you can use but again uh, to be honest i have not seen anything that would be saying um you know wearing a mask in in any way uh, impacts the respiratory function for example because that would be the one that i would be worried about because there is a bit of a you know a barrier there is probably a bit of a lower oxygen saturation that there is a bit of a higher uh, uh, co2 saturation but again i mean i you know i i i i remember the uh, You know, I'm a a triathlete, so I do a lot of running. And, uh, you know, during the winter, you have quite a bit of uh, air pollution. So we are, I do my runs, uh, even my long runs, like 30 kilometer runs in a mask. And this is not like a small mask. This is like a real big mask, you know, with a big filter, with like a HEPA filter. And uh, I I don't see any impact on my heart rate during those Mm. runs. And, and again, you know, when you look at these uh, endurance athletes, when they, uh, when they do the test for their uh, endurance, like a, like a proper physiological test, they actually wear a mask, mm-hmm. uh, which measures how much oxygen they're exhaling. But they're wearing a mask. Right. Uh, so again, I, I would say that you know, with such a great, uh, with, with an effort that requires so much oxygen, you mm-hmm. actually don't see an impact. Right. I would say in kind of a normal setting, when you're sitting around or even playing, uh, there would be even uh, not noticeable.
0: And, 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 and again, we're not using the masks in high aerobic activity. So that excludes that as a potential issue exactly. for us. Exactly. We're just looking at those enclosed and travel spaces, classrooms, certainly. Uh, and we're looking at as they move between enclosed spaces within the building in order to give that additional layer protection. But again, all of this is backdropped against the fact that we've got this comprehensive testing program. So try. while the testing program is taking us down in risk to the, a fairly low level already, the masks really only add an additional couple of percentage points. But it's good to do at the outset like this, at least at the start of school. Um, to make sure that we're adding that layer of protection and doing those protection kinds of things. And as I said, it's also about teaching kids good, healthy behaviors for when they're outside their safety bubble. That's the
2: critical one. And it comes back to your values uh, and uh, that you kind of, you know, whatever you do at school, you do in the community. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I think Again, in the future, when we start seeing patterns, we will probably be looking at patterns of mask use. So, for example, if we identify a case, then we would probably be stricter with masks. If we have a couple of weeks without a case and there is no no big community spread in the area, then we will probably relax. So we will be flexible, we will be adaptable, we will be changing week to week or even day to day if needed uh when uh, you know reacting to potential dangers or potential kind of you know uh, areas of uh, relaxation
0: another question comes and i will let you do a bit and then i want to go to an administrator to maybe talk about this as well and that's band and music classes now we've done i think you're at your audit recommendation the high level filters for yep. these rooms we're having band and music um What's your thoughts on those classes? Those ones have have kind of a high target in terms of dialogue because of kind of history of where spread has taken place. Not really definitive scientific study, but definitely some evidence to support that those are areas that are concerning. So we took extra mitigation efforts. What's your thoughts on how we're looking there? And then maybe I'll go over and grab a middle school or high school administrator who might wanna chime in on what teachers are currently talking about so we can give a picture of that.
2: Look, I think with the testing and the air purifiers and as much as possible, uh, implementing some social distancing during class, because remember the transmission of the virus is through direct contact. So. You know, if the kids are not crowded together singing at each other, uh, there will be much less of a risk than if they're you know even standing one meter apart and kind of singing straight rather than you know looking around. Um, then uh, I think we're we're good again. The, the testing is the one that is really protecting us. The air purifier again, the next level, this protect level of uh, uh, protection and. Uh, uh, Again, we should be fine uh, we, we will uh, we will be monitoring this obviously uh, perhaps we will have to implement some kind of a different uh, process that for example, we will be doing the music and band classes for kids who have tested today just to be safer you know so for the cohorts that are today uh, but for now, let's say you know i'm I feel confident that with the testing protocol that we have uh, and still a
0: relatively low level of
2: uh, transmission in the uh, Warsaw area, Uh, we should be fine.
0: Excellent. Um, I want to do a quick round of introductions here because I just want to make sure I get faces on screens and we're going to come back on questions. But Mr. Flatiger's here, elementary principal. Jay, do you want to just say hi to everybody and unmute for a sec?
3: For sure. Thanks, John. Just uh, want to say hi to everybody and thanks for the warm welcome to the community. Really appreciate all the parents who are already reaching out with their questions and and ideas and suggestions. It's been wonderful to get to know all of you. Look forward to talking to you further. Great.
0: And Bart, you want to say hi, middle school? Good evening, everybody. Nice to see you. And Ms. Burnson, I know you're out there, high school.
4: Good evening, everyone. I just want to say thank you to any of the parents who help their students send in some videos that we shared with the the faculty this week. Um, It was a really great starting point for us. So thank you for any help in that.
0: Oh, brilliant, that's great. And Mr. Sheehan, leading the upper school, want to say hi? Hi,
5: John, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody. It's nice to see you here. I'm watching all the, the comments and the questions flow through Facebook at the same time. I know there's a lot to get to there, but it's wonderful to see so many people watching tonight.
0: And we're going to take our time and get through it. M- Mr. Sheehan, while I've got you, do you have any additional insight on, on band and music? I know you've been talking with uh, Mr. Pavlos. We've had a few emails back and forth. Anything you want to add to the conversation on that?
5: Right. I, I can tell you that uh, the, all of our arts teachers, uh, because it's, they're such interactive spaces, band, choir... Uh, art, uh, visual arts, all of these are where kids are moving about and uh, so they've done a lot of thinking and a lot of researching. So I was really uh, pleased to see when we got back to school um, how much they've been reading up on it. This morning in the upper school I had a conversation with Catherine Bechtold who's our middle school and high school choir teacher and of course that, that's what we're looking at or considering right now. Is that, is that a potential hotspot? Um, we're blessed with uh, rather, rather large rooms in the upper school music facility, so where the kids can really spread out. So they are going to be practicing social distancing. Um, she um, was telling me that she's been working with Emily Clegghorn, our brand new band teacher in the middle school and high school, laying out the room plotting where the chairs are going to go again to make sure that the students are as far apart from each other as possible they've all also talked ad nauseum about how they can move instruction to even bigger spaces including outdoors especially for choir so it's a quick um it's a quick trip down the stairs and out the door for for miss Bechtold, and i know she'll be doing that quite often but um they are they're thinking about all the different things that can help mitigate the risks for our students, and of course for themselves, because that's very important that we do think about the health, and safety, and well-being of our faculty and staff members. That that's that's crucial as far as I'm concerned. So the conversations are ongoing. Um, as as you know, um, a lot of the dialogue throughout the school this week is how do we prepare for the first day of school and every day after. Um, confronted with this risk? And how do we set up our classrooms? Um, and of course, everybody wants to know about hybrid learning and what that looks like. That's being articulated right now. That's the work that our teachers are doing throughout the
0: school. Any, any heads up on some of the hybrid thoughts out there, as long as you brought up that one, because that was the next question to kind of go down the line on any uh, yourself as well as anybody else chiming in on hybrid and what you're kind of thinking about, just to give us a bit of a picture.
5: Sure. In, in, uh, in our curricular teams, with our, t- with our team leaders um, at the curricular level and at the grade level, um, what we've asked them to do is discuss how they can connect uh, first synchronously uh, and asynchronously with students who are choosing to, to learn from a distance in the first three weeks of school. Hey, we also have a couple of students, families, who are not yet back in Warsaw. From wherever they're, yeah. you know, <laughs> we've been dealing with that today too. Their kids at camps and they know they're coming back and they have to quarantine, which is which is really nice. They know that they're reading your uh, notes, John, by the way. So, <laughs> um, so they have to choose. They want to choose hybrid learning at the outset, um, but they will be back as soon as they can. Um, that's for sure. They want to be in person, but they know they have to quarantine uh, for the first couple of weeks. So we, um, that's where the conversations are right now. And as I said in my e-notes this evening, um, we're, we're gonna, from, uh, from each teacher through Google Classroom or email, students will understand what, it, how, what they are uh, required to do to connect with their teachers and with their classes. Um, ideally, there will be check-ins. There will be a, a very important synchronous component meaning daily and uh, class by class contact, live contact, then how that plays out again, it's gonna depend on the courses and the grade levels. PE is not gonna be the same as language and literature as the same as mathematics, right? So we're gonna articulate that and everybody will know.
0: That's great. And, and, and I, I, again, it's just all these bits and bobs in the way it's being customized to different classes, different subject areas, different age levels. And I think that's an important factor. Jay, um, why don't we talk about elementary and hybrid? Any highlights you want to give us from the conversations going on down there? Because I think that's a big group of our parents online tonight is wondering about hybrid for our youngest learners.
3: Yeah, John, I'm glad you mentioned the piece about uh, age groups, because that's uh, that's our central focus. Of course, we have um, our youngest learners and thinking about what's it like to come to school for the first time at ASW. Lots of people are joining us for the first time um, and people are returning back and we know how incredibly important the relationship piece is. And that is a central focus of our conversations this week is is how to maintain that relationship, even in the distance model. And um, we know that, uh, as Michael's already said, that that synchronous piece is incredibly important with that, and that we're going to have to find Uh, multiple ways to make that happen whether that's um, large group pieces or that's more of a check-in small group uh, individual pieces but really building on the successes that the school's already enjoyed in the spring Uh, but knowing we actually need more of some of those components especially now that there are also some anxieties and things like that and coming back to school and into the school environment. So we're actually starting that off with everybody next week because we have a staggered start for our youngest ones. And because we can't do that, those in-person meetings, we're starting that off with that virtual um, aspect of, of what, the, uh, uh, what we can offer between that connection of the teacher and the, the parent and then the child seeing the classroom, having that conversation, feeling good about what they're gonna experience a day or two days later when they actually get into the classroom. So then it, from there, it's a matter of, of building on, on some of those um, initial relationships that there's, as they're being built. And I really wanna say, that it's the number one thing that teachers keep talking about is they cannot wait to see your kids and they cannot wait, if, even if that has to be virtual, um, that they can't wait to see them and, they, and that is, um, they've repeated that uh, articulately over and over again
0: that's brilliant and i saw those messages going out today so i'm really excited about that virtual kind of check-in before coming to school is that primarily on the zoom platform and we're looking at getting a, a bit of a virtual tour i mean it, it, that's one loss is the only thing anybody's been able to see is the front entrance as they've been coming in for testing because we're keeping the school locked down and and prepped for everyone um, so is that is that kind of what you expect that to look like for families? Is that kind of check in and virtual walk around?
3: Oh, for sure. And um, you know, one of the strengths I think that that this school has always had is that deep relationship with parents, and parents are all have always been on site and been connected to to every aspect of the school, and we want that to continue. Um, it may not be able to be identical to how it rolled out before, but um, but those pieces are still very important too. And so, like right from uh, from day one of those um, those handoffs of, of that that first scary moment of coming to school, it will be direct hand to hand to a face that the kids know, and so that they can they can not only you know um, run in joy to see all their friends again, but also um, know that they're supported by those adults that they remember being there for them and so whether that's in person or whether it's a virtual um, uh, choice um, that connection is what we're building on and what we're, we're counting on on building um, starting immediately
0: that's great and i think that'll be really reassuring to a lot of our parents as that are getting together out there um, i want to just squeak in a, an answer to isla's question here about Uh, The hybrid versus in class option, and whether or not there's an option to opt in and out of that throughout the year. We're going to work with families on this, and we've got plans to be considering that because we know, as Dr. Oleschuk just said a few minutes ago, things are going to be changing on a daily basis, and we have to be able to adjust to family sensibilities. We also have to be ready to go into virtual school. So many of these things that we're talking about for hybrid, remember, are also preparatory ground for going into virtual school and having our tool set ready, should we all need to opt into it? But our hope is that if we ever do go into, into virtual school, it'll be for shorter periods of time with a very clear strategy for how we come out of virtual school and back into a safe school environment. But Ila, I hope that answers your question because uh, yes, there is going to be this option to work with families, and to help you to make choices and serve your needs throughout the year, whatever it starts to look like. Um, Hey, I've got a question about PE classes. Um, Dr. Olashuk, I want to come back to you for just a second on this and aerobic activity, outdoor activity, and PE activity. What are your concerns there? And again, with our testing regime, maybe not as much of a concern, but These are typically in large open spaces. Your architectural team took a look and said, we can do this. Anything we should be thinking about relative to PE? And then maybe administrators can also chime in if you've met with PE teachers and what they're planning. Well, you know, for the outdoor, I see no issue, to be honest.
2: There's no evidence uh, yet that, uh, you know, you can get infected in large, you know, in outdoor spaces, even with physical activity. So here I have no reservations uh swimming pool i have no reservations uh as long as you maintain uh you know some level of social distance in the locker rooms uh because they these tend to get crowded i mean, I, I go often to the swimming pool um uh, my local swimming pool and this is usually quite crowded um then you know the the question mark becomes team sports with physical contact so basketball you know handball uh, uh there there that's where i would see a bit more of a risk obviously because a you have aerobic activity so you have quite high uh, respiration rate and you have physical contact very direct contact with uh, with each other and you cannot socially distance while playing basketball uh, so here again we will have to think about how best to uh, probably do the scheduling you know that again the, the, the basketball classes would be happening on the days that the kids were tested so that we minimize the risk of anybody, you know, of of, of us missing uh, a potential infection between the the test uh, cycles. So uh, that's where I would say at this stage, uh, this would be my my take on sports.
0: Got it. And and, then we've been talking about that. I've been talking with our athletic director, Mr. Cuthbert. And he is getting advice from, again, people around the world as he's uh, designing and working on after-school sports and activities, following basically some of the guidelines you're setting. Very clear selection of these first-season sports, assessment of what we can and can't do. We're not going to be competing and bringing teams on site, obviously, or traveling to teams, so much more of an intramural approach. Uh, Within our own safe bubble community, as you suggested, some of that scheduling or looking at where the testing occurs for those individual groupings. Uh, But also, I think there's just a shift in the kinds and types of activities that are going on in PE. And anybody got any insight into uh, PE teachers and what they've been talking about beyond what I've been talking with Jason about? Michael, Bart, Laura, anybody else? They're all pointing away. (laughs) All right, Laura, Laura, you were—you've been, I think, in in the gym a little bit. What anything there?
4: Yeah, um, you know, I've talked with some of the uh, PE teachers, and they they've been also focusing their attention on the equipment and um, how they can be separating equipment, you know, for the the different cohorts as well as um, possible cleaning um, based on the the activities that they might be using. Uh, they also have been thinking about, you know, trying to get outside as much as they can, especially while the weather is good so that we don't have to worry about uh, the masks. Um, so they've, they've definitely been talking about that. And, and it's great to hear from uh, Dr. Olshuk you know, just a little bit more about what the recommendations are.
0: Bart, you were going to chime in there too. What have you got?
6: Yeah, just to add to that also, having the cohort-based gyms is, is a real big change for promoting some, uh, some more safety there, as well as the cohort-based uh locker rooms has been a, a real focus and uh, a big, big uh, shift in our, our scheduling. So that's another piece.
0: That's right. So we've got the scheduling piece kind of sorted and we're looking at where we're putting groups within our cohort areas and how we're making them travel. And I do know locker rooms has been a big focus in terms of, of managing that as well. All right. So there's PE for you. I hope that helps with that. Uh, that was Adrian's question. Um We've got a question here. We've got a, the, the question basically is we have a family member that is in a risk group, more vulnerable health wise, hence isolating socially and doing more distancing. Um, if their child comes to school, can you estimate, Dr. Olschewski, the chance of bringing the virus from school back home? This seems to be a recurring question, and we have multiple families, particularly with older uh, grandparents and such who are vulnerable or having uh, immune deficiencies of another family member in the home. Um, This is a common question of kids, the potential that kids are gonna bring it home from school. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's not clear yet. You know, what what will be the level of transmission Uh, from child to adult once we go into kind of the full schooling mode because we didn't really we we weren't really in full school mode like in physical school mode during the pandemic now Mm -hmm. we have the pandemic we have the full school mode and we have the flu season starting
0: Mm -hmm. so we talk about flu season so we're (laughs) gonna we're gonna highlight that at some point yeah exactly (laughs) so we have uh, quite a few unknowns now
2: You know, ever since COVID started and there was good evidence, and now the evidence is very strong, obviously, that uh, persons with compromised uh, immune systems, persons with chronic diseases, older persons, they are at most risk of severe disease, not necessarily of contracting, also of contracting, but of severe disease. You know, my strong recommendation would be to protect them as much as possible. So if there is a way in the domicile to you know, uh, you know, as much as possible to put them on a different floor or in a different, uh, um, you know, area in the house. Have a separate bathroom for them. Bring them food. You know, when interacting, uh, you know, maintain the social distance. Uh, have them wear a mask. Wear a mask yourself, uh, because you know th- this is really where the issue is. You know, because the uh, you know the, the younger the person is, the less The risk there is of a severe course of disease and vice versa unfortunately so i would say um, you know because we know so little and we know so little in terms of just the sheer community spread of this virus once we go into this full school mode you know kids have been traditionally a vector of transmission for numerous respiratory tract uh, viral diseases like the flu, like uh, RSV and others. So, uh, so far we have not had this evidence but there were no schools, you know, the schools were just locked down in most uh, countries of the world. So we actually know too little, uh, but I would, would, uh, at this stage, I would assume that uh, SARS-CoV-2 would be a bit of the same kind in terms of transmission as flu. Let's be on the safe side. Let's not assume that it's different and it somehow, you know, kids will not spread. Uh, But again, with the testing regime that we have, with the um, you know um, other measures that we have, obviously there is much less risk. But that doesn't mean that you should uh, relax. You know, uh, especially again for the older people, older persons, uh, persons with chronic diseases. So please be vigilant. uh, please be mindful. Please remember that uh, this is not foolproof. We are just reducing risk. We're minimizing the risk. We are, you know, the objective is to minimize uh, a uh, the uh, probability that the virus penetrates the outer layer, outer layer, uh, but also to minimize impact of the virus once it penetrates. You know, that's why we have this reaction. We we'll
0: minimize the spread because we and react to it. Real because we
2: react exactly. Yeah. But uh, this does not mean that we will minimize to zero, uh, right? So there will still be risk, especially once uh, you know when when we have a when we have a case inside the school. Then I would be really 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 vigilant at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, at and that the, the next. Have, but that's the case when flu season when there's an outbreak of flu. You know, we put the exactly. alerts out and say, "Hey, flu's going around. Exactly. You know, you need to put a clamp on it." What you're suggesting though is that the covid risk reduces but we're not looking for anything else so all of the other risks are still there and still an issue for these immune deficient and or elderly or vulnerable individuals therefore there's really not a significant increased risk it's just about which one we're looking at and how we're managing it to try to minimize it as much as possible
2: that's exactly the point you know and obviously the the uh, SARS-CoV-2 is much deadlier than the flu virus to older persons and again to persons with chronic diseases. So there is there is a substantially increased risk, maybe tenfold, maybe fifteen, maybe 20-fold. Yep. But the flu is also deadly, you know. And obviously, uh, you know, when you look at Poland reports, uh, they are significantly underreporting flu deaths in Poland. Right. Because uh, when they have somebody dying of pneumonia and they don't do a PCR test, they say it's pneumonia. But it could as well be a complication of flu.
4: Right. Had they
2: done the PCR test. But obviously, nobody's doing a PCR test on somebody who's dying of pneumonia. Mm. Uh, but when you look at the US, we should be, you know, obviously the flu deaths are much, uh, much higher. So, again, and, and the other point is we don't know how. COVID-19 looks like in a flu patient
0: ah, as the two together, which is the two potential, together, right?
2: This super infection. And we, you know, we have no evidence because we, when we locked down, suddenly the flu disappeared. So there were no flu cases because obviously we're socially distancing, et cetera. We, the schools were closed. So, uh, and every COVID case was treated as a, every flu, uh, sorry, Everybody with a fever was treated as a COVID, so they were already under protection. But we actually don't know whether they had flu and COVID or COVID alone or flu alone. Right.
0: Which is then the, it gets into the epi, the, the studies that are doing to go back and look at the antibodies to try to there figure you are. out there was a couple. There you them. are.
2: There you are. Yeah. And here, you know, in the height of the, in the peak of the flu season, which will be kind of December through February. We will be having hundreds of thousands of flu of new flu cases every week, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so we will see. I mean, it's it is a it is an interesting case, uh, and obviously the, you know, it, it's more it's more a concern of for the health systems, not for you guys, because uh, for you guys anyway, whoever has symptoms is staying home, uh, and with the testing, we're eliminating COVID, which is the most important uh, the culprit we're right. afraid of. Uh, but for the health systems, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I have clients who are asking, okay, how do we prepare for the flu season? And uh, John and I were talking about this uh, uh, a few weeks ago, but I'm already telling my clients definitely, look, buy the basic uh, medicines, you know, for mm-hmm. flu, buy some antibiotic, even if it's, if, if it's biceptal, something that is kind of broad, broad based, you know, and uh, broad spectrum. Uh, just to have it because
0: uh, very soon the health systems uh, will be collapsing. And, and that's the shortage of materials and equipment. Yeah. Which is why we've bought a head on hand sanitizer yeah. and, on, yeah. and on everything else under the sun. But those kinds of things may be an issue too in the future. Um, hard to think about it, that that's, the, that's on the horizon. And certainly we're all hopeful that we don't go that far. But we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared. Um, I I want to answer Rico's question and then the questions are stacking up and please everybody be patient. I'm going to get to them all. Don't worry. Uh, Rico's question is how often are you opening windows to vent? As much as we possibly can. That's one of the main things and certainly the weather's in our favor right now. So windows will be open. We also solidified the proper use of fans so that it's actually helping our situation. And I also will mention that we've adopted across the school a door open policy. And so all doors will remain open all of the time. We'll learn how to respect spaces in that context and quiet in hallways um, and kind of learn behaviors to go with that. But by keeping doors open as well as opening windows as much as we can, I think we're going to have really good ventilation throughout the building. And that's consistent with the audit as well. There's a parent asking again, I know, Dr. Olshuk, we've already talked about this multiple times, but she's saying the sample taken when she came to school was the outer area of the nostril, not the the inside the nasopharynx. Is the testing executed this way going to be reliable? It's that same question. Do you want to just quickly state what we've got in terms of uh, sensitivity and reliability and validity of this?
2: Yeah, so first of all, the FDA and now the CDC is, is, uh, has strengthened this, uh, has reiterated this recommendation that there are four equally uh, acceptable sources of biological material for COVID-19, for SARS-CoV-2 testing, and anterior nostril is one of those four. Okay? The other three are the nasopharynx, the oropharynx, and the mid-turbinate, so the deep nose. Uh,
0: there is on the horizon saliva as well, by the way, yeah, we've been talking about that for almost a month now. That we're yeah. hopeful that there be a validated study and a, and a and a potential sensitivity yes. that would make saliva saliva. You're just spitting in a tube. You just spit. You're just spitting a tube. tube. Yeah, exactly. So well, that, you and you and I also talked about the sensitive paper. Yeah, you know, yeah. And so there's so many things that are on the horizon there's that so we're trying to adjust to. We are monitoring this situation.
2: We are bringing you guys the best there is so we the tests that we have now are kind of north of 96% sensitivity and uh, close to 100% specificity so really 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 high highly sensitive and specific the the other point which uh, is uh, is important is that especially in the saliva context and we are by the way validating our tests on saliva as we speak um uh, is that uh, It seems based on several studies now, at least two, that the viral load in kids may actually be a bit higher. Okay. When they're infected. When they're infected. So even if they don't have any symptoms, uh, which they don't most of the time, like 99% of the time, the the actual viral load may be higher. We don't know whether they're shedding because that's not been tested, but we know the viral load is higher, which means the test sensitivity becomes less of an issue. anyway we are way above the level of detection that we need to be the third point uh, which is important is this population health point which is uh the sensitivity is important when you're trying to zero in on one person okay Mm -hmm. so you have a suspect and you want to confirm whether the suspect is guilty or not guilty here we're not saying we are uh looking not at suspects Mm -hmm. We are looking at non-guilty individuals and we're saying, let's do population health screening. That's where testing differs from screening. Because testing, clinical testing, which is what we do now all over the world, except you and a few other institutions which are thinking prospectively, uh, we are doing this preventative screening. And there was a very good, very solid study, uh, very, uh, published very recently, which showed that the when you do population health screening so you are testing everybody frequently the test sensitivity is much less of an issue so the, frequency, of the frequency right because of the frequency so they said they looked at a test the, the test sensitivity of 70% 70 okay so extremely low ours is 96 remember so 70% and the impact of uh, having frequent testing meaning either every day or every 3 days or every week okay was uh, much higher means like tenfold higher than increasing the test sensitivity
0: from 70 to 80% and that's the key that's the key that's community health versus diagnostic <laughs> exactly and
2: that's where you know and again the the world is not there yet uh, but uh, there are uh, you know the, the, the guys who know population health and, and we have talked to many of them in the, at harvard at stanford uh, uh, at at ucsf uh, this is exactly what the models are showing which is and it actually makes sense guys i mean you know today uh, you know let's take us you know the us is testing 10% of the population Let's say they're testing with a 90, with a 100 percent sensitive test. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're going to get catch uh, 10 out of 100 sick people, okay. Because they're testing 10 percent of the population. so they're going uh, uh, catch 10 out of 100. Now with screening, what y- you have is you're testing 100 percent, so 100 people. And let's say you have a test which is 90 percent sensitive. You're gonna catch ninety out of a hundred. Mm-hmm.
6: Even
0: if you have a, the, that's the way the statistics work. That's, that's
2: why the, It's very simple. Even if you have about. a fifty percent sensitive test,
0: you're gonna get catch fifty percent. And, and to connect this back over, this is the this community health approach, and this yeah. is to answer Nikos's question: is what keeps us from having to do more significant strategies like smaller group sizes or. Or extreme distancing, or you know, more uh, just, specific you know. practices. A B Absolutely. cohorts, different groups here yeah. on a different day. I know that you're seeing other schools do that in other places in the world, but that's in many cases because they don't have access to uh, screening testing, and they just haven't understood it. They did it as a knee jerk reaction to the safety protocols that were available at that time. And you look at uh, you know, I
2: mean, the the number of institutions is growing. Harvard, MIT, Syracuse, Emerson, uh, Babson, uh, Yale University, they are all implementing weekly or even twice a week testing. University of Illinois. Uh, you had, uh, I don't know if you guys were following, but there was recently this uh, big uproar in the UK because the Teachers Association, the main teachers union in the UK, was calling on Boris Johnson to implement this weekly testing. In schools, and he said, "No, we're not going to do the weekly testing in schools because our priority is to weekly test the healthcare personnel,
0: uh, ah, the, the frontline workers, <laughs>
2: right? Frontline workers, and uh, there was a big uproar because the you know uh, the the teachers were saying, you know, this is the only way that we can return to a safe school. Otherwise, it's not a, a you know we're we're not going back. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, again, this is." You know, and and we are living in this special time and uh, and, uh, obviously uh, we will be learning as we go. So maybe this protocol that we have, maybe we'll still be updating several months down the road. Like you were saying, John, there will be these paper tests and maybe they will be done at home. We will see again, we will be uh, bringing you guys
0: the best there is, the safest there is and the most convenient there is. Brilliant. Um, There's still a few more questions on mass here and I'm just going to make one closing statement on mass and then I think I'll hold off to see how the first week goes. I just want parents to know, straightforwardly, we're not looking to make your children uncomfortable. We're going to be very sensitive to the needs of children and to their age level. We can socially distance if the mask is uncomfortable and they need a break. All these things will be dealt with. And certainly, we're not going to be wearing them for aerobic activity. We said that already, so that would include pe activities where there's aerobic things going on we've already come up with some various structures for dealing with masks and management as they transition between activities so please Just trust us. We're going to take care of your children. But at the same time, we're going to wear masks where we need to and when we need to, to add that layer of protection for these early weeks of school until Dr. Oleshuk and I are convinced in our crisis team um, that it's safe to relax our standards based on community spread and all the factors that he's suggested to you. So please let's just put that one on hold then at this point and uh, we'll give it the first week and then we'll come back next Wednesday and talk about it after our first two days in school and see how it's going. And then that'll be our best way I think of addressing it. Uh, Mr. Flatiger, I wanna come back to you. Carla's asked a question about hand-to-hand process and wondering if you can clarify uh, from today's e-notes, isn't for first grade students, but just in a general sense, hand-to-hand and what you guys have got planned.
3: Yeah, so that was something that was uh, started last year, a couple of years ago, um, very successful, and we actually want to expand upon that. And so because uh, parents um, aren't able to come in the building right now, we're creating a process outside the building for that to occur, uh, knowing that uh, a lot of um uh, the stresses of having your kids come back to school is the process of you wanting to see them coming back to school and that um, direct handoff to, to somebody that the kids are familiar with as the teacher or the TA in the classroom and so on. So we're creating systems for outside for the, the pre-Ks, Ks and 1s in, in specific. Um, but of course, thinking about our 2s to 5s as well and, and their important needs there, but very specifically for, for the youngest kids and then repeating the same process at the end of the day. Uh, as you know, we already have a practice in place where none of the kids are, are ever unsupervised in our care, um, in our structure. So really, that hand-to-hand process is um, is well ingrained into the practices of school, and we're just looking at ways to enhance that to make sure that we're we're um, we're sensitive to the fact that the the kids will have um, some anxieties coming back, and frankly, parents do too, which is fair, um, and that we want to make sure that we're there for uh, all relationships to, to be able to make that process as smooth as possible directly from, from one caregiver to the other.
0: Brilliant. So again, we're doing our best. And, and certainly in the early days too, we've got additional staff that we put on duty since we don't have parent access. And so a large part of our process at startup is about hybriding that as well. Is that correct, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. And
3: um, you know, we, we were talking today as a staff of exactly what that's going to look like and who's going to be stationed where, and how does that process then happen at the end of the day as well for siblings who need to collect other siblings. Uh, we're making all of our final decisions tomorrow when we come back together as a team, but I want you to know that the, uh, that the staff is being really thoughtful of being, uh, present and making sure that they're uh, super accountable for the fact that the kids are needing to come to a safe place and be dispersed from safe places and need to um, have that hand to hand where they're being um, led through what uh, are maybe confusing practices for even entering the school. You know, there's a process for that that we're going to need to follow and make sure that that's absolutely safe. And we know we have teaching to do around that. Uh, we have teaching to do around the hand washing and when you really need to be doing it and, and uh, t- uh, taking off your mask and where do you put it when you take it off and times that it's appropriate to be taking it on and off and, and all those things. Those are things that teachers are really working about uh, how to embed that in curriculum teaching that that's another layer of an instruction that they're giving is now is an appropriate time for this. Okay, we really need to wash our hands at this time because of this reason and so on and embedding all those practices and making them really teaching moments.
0: Yeah. And it really is. It's a learning and teaching process. Absolutely. Across the board. You mentioned a good point, Jay. And actually, I may want to uh, ping on Bart a little bit on this as well. Maybe even high school as well. But that's one thing we won't be able to facilitate inside the building is any cross-cohort travel by siblings. And so the the siblings not being able to cross the barrier makes it very different in terms of connecting siblings together outside Uh, uh, The building in essence and Bart you're particularly challenged and I and I've been thinking about this today as I walked around on our facility upgrades. With our middle school entrance being not a common place for most middle schoolers to come in and being inside the courtyard where it is with the entrance certainly from the parking lot but with it being a little bit back and out of the way, do you wanna talk about what you guys have been talking about for middle school students to kind of make sure they get guided to the right entrance and that they build a good habit around that? We've uh, actually been
6: been out there, Mr. Sheehan and I were out there exploring the look of that courtyard this afternoon um, in particular. And it's really about getting there the first day so students know where to get there the first day, but, but I will be out there kind of helping to guide them and what that social distancing looks like, what it looks like to, to uh, line up and to come in. So when you're dropping off, what has traditionally been the high school drop-off zone, which uh, it's, it still is, um, when you travel between the buildings, uh, between the middle school and the high school, that's the courtyard that we're talking about. Um, so right as you come around the corner toward the high school entrance some parents have been in the habit of dropping off particularly seventh graders there uh, and so to come right through the courtyard there there's a nice big courtyard there's plenty of room to space out uh, and we'll just get get used to to what that is like to line up out there we'll have um we'll have uh, you know our own security set up there uh to kind of help with that in the morning we'll have miss gosha at, for students that are coming in late, but uh, I plan to help be out there particularly outside to help us start with that process of of getting lined up and how how to get safe, but it's really about finding it to begin.
0: Exactly, it's, yeah, well, it's I- tucked back there. I know seventh graders know it because they're always heading to their lockers that are nearby there, right? And so it, it, it it's <laughs> the other kids, the younger kids, particularly sixth grade, who might be thinking more like their elementary days who are gonna to need to go that extra distance around the corner and, and drop off there in the kiss and go zone so that they can find their way to the middle school's brand new sliding glass doors to be quite honest.
6: <laughs> and I'll say that all the seventh and eighth graders will know who are returning, will know where that courtyard is because it's how we exit to for our, our uh, fire drills, which we have a little bit of practice at. So uh, if you know how to exit for that, from a middle middle school classroom that is not in the annex. So the ones in the middle school, kind of yeah. uh, traditional middle school area, they all exit through that courtyard, sometimes closer to the science room, but that's the courtyard we're talking about.
0: And that's an important point to make is that we have these three entrances. None of our other doors, the doors to the side hallways or anything else, none of that will be accessible. All students will have to go through those new middle school sliding glass doors to check in in the morning. And same for high schools, there's like no alternative entrances. There's no way now to go around back and come through the cafeteria. None of that will be possible. You must enter every morning through those key entrances, high school, the middle school, the new sliding glass doors and the elementary, their sliding glass doors. Those are really the only way for kids to get into the building. And then we have our main administrative entrance, which is primarily for adults who are coming to the campus for anything that they need to do with any of our offices um, on on generally a prearranged basis. Um, So just, again, parents, you're gonna have to work with us and there'll be lots of people out there and we'll make sure that we're directing effectively to get you to the right place. And parents, again, as usual, uh, the issue in particularly the first days of school will be available parking. So uh, please use uh, potentially uh, our, our outside parking um, areas if there needs to be overflow and guide your kids in by hand. Uh, but uh, we're just going to need to be prepared as we always are for the start of school that there's going to be a premium on parking, although parents, you aren't staying this time. So maybe there'll be a quick turnover of parking so that we can keep things moving on site. Um, I wanted to address Romana's question really quickly. Are you adjusting class layouts? Yes, to the degree feasible. And again, we're looking at, we gave teachers the charge, go back to your classrooms now and say where you can and how you can arrange things to kind of increase the degree of distancing where possible. But we're not measuring. And so, and again, because we've got testing and because we're masked and because we're doing other practices, including hand-washing and cleaning and those kinds of things, we're not being rigorous about two-meter distancing. Um, In fact, if you're wearing a mask, that two-meter distancing is significantly reduced, which is, again, part of the reason for starting the year like that. So please be aware of that. Um, Dr. Oleschuk, I've got one more question on the testing, Um, We sent out the name of the test to parents, and thank you for providing that for me along with the form, because most parents are filling that out in advance and have it with them when they arrive. Uh, But it's obvious that you can look that test up, and and someone is pointing out that they've seen documents that suggest that the official instructions of the test are to Swab over the posterior nasopharynx. Do you want to resolve that and talk about that, just so we can take that one off the table?
2: Again, it's uh, every test is registered with uh, kind of the most obvious one, because the you know the registration was taking place probably several months ago, uh, as COVID was erupting and everybody was racing to get the tests out into the market. Uh, then you know everybody was uh, kind of and, and you will see this in every test you know that mm-hmm. uh, uh, most tests are saying it's the nasopharynx at the same time the everybody uh, including the FDA is saying you can use all four irrespective of what is, what the test is saying so this means that the test was the test was tested on nasopharynx mhm uh, at we the same did validation though we did validation ourselves at the same time, the FDA, which is kind of you know my kind of the, my kind of holy grail, because my validation, uh, you know, uh, it's my validation. But if the FDA is saying uh, it doesn't matter where you take the sample, then I trust the FDA. Got it. We did validate, and again, we are even validating on saliva. Uh, but we did validate on the anterior nostril, and uh, it was exactly the same based on again, whatever is the requirement in the FDA, which is 30 positive samples, 30 negative samples. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, the, the, what, what we were trying to accomplish is to find a way to make this testing as painless as possible to the kids. Mm-hmm. And using the best available evidence and judgment and uh, research that we have done ourselves, uh to do this uh the you know when you look at the data that is published out there there there's actually data saying that uh the anterior nostril and even the saliva may actually contain more virus than the nasopharynx
0: right and this is the debate that's going on right now that is
2: the debate that is going on so uh, you know and so i'm i'm not uh again when I have so much evidence pointing to uh, having a much more convenient place, then I, I will use the more convenient place, uh, especially that again, we are doing population health. If I were in a hospital, in an infectious hospital and I were admitting patients with 38 degree fever, loss of smell or taste mm-hmm. and uh, you know, cough, then I would be doing whatever is uh, indicated to do in the diagnostic uh, procedure. Mm -hmm. But here we're in in a completely different setting. It's a bit like, you know, with the mask,
6: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, coming back to the mask, you know, and a lot of clients are asking me, okay, so which mask should we wear? Is, is, Is it fine to wear a cotton mask? Is it better to wear a surgical mask? Should it be FFP2, FFP3? And then, you know, I say, well, if you're in a healthcare setting where you have a lot of risk of exposure because you have patients like every patient may have COVID. And,
0: and anywhere, by the way, they're displaying other symptoms and they're, and and they're, they're, saying, uh, they're
2: shedding. Then you wear whatever is the best. Yeah. And then you don't care that you get you know, bruises, that you get blood all over your face from that. You don't care because you want to live. Mm-hmm. Then if you're in, a, in another setting where again, the exposure is not so high, uh, wear something that is comfortable and has some level of protection and make sure that everybody else is wearing it. Again, it's coming back to population health Mm -hmm. because if you have 10% of the population wearing the mask like we're seeing now in the streets, it's better that nobody wears. Right,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, So so that's where, again, we have to always come back to this uh, population health approach and kind of looking at the 100% or 90%, whatever it is, versus looking at specific cases. And, uh, uh, and again, always having in mind that no methodology is 100%. I was mentioning, I think the other day, the glucometers, which have been around for 50 years. And uh, today the glucometers have a plus minus 50% tolerance in terms of glucose level. So you, will, you can do a test uh, now, it's, uh, glucose will be 100, and a minute later it will be 130. And from the test perspective, it's the same result. Got you. (laughs) So, so, uh, and you're taking a life and death decision based on this result. uh, Because you are injecting yourself with a certain amount of insulin Mm -hmm. that may actually, at some stage, be toxic if you are wrong by 30%. Because, you know, it's plus minus 15%. And again, you can be wrong by 30% in a way from test to test. So again the, the you know uh, the, the, but here again it come back it comes back to the individual you know and there it matters. but we are talking population health, we're talking minimizing risk risk on a population level. We're talking frequent testing and again frequency trumps sensitivity always, always 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 uh, uh, and uh, and and this is why you know we recommended strongly this uh, this frequent testing mm-hmm. uh, yet still maintaining. A very high level of sensitivity.
0: Yeah. A parent question about laboratory. Is there anything uh, that we should be telling them about uh, laboratory? I mean, I I think we're doing different processes here and you're actually setting up your own laboratory for this, but do you want to talk about laboratories? Because that's always a question that comes up in public setting.
2: Well, uh, uh, so you mean the, the, the testing on site or? The question
0: is, which laboratory is testing ASW students? And I think it's all, it depends upon what we're talking about and the stage so, of our process. So again, so, screening, it's only us. Okay? Right? So the
2: screening part, we are doing the screening part, the population mm-hmm. health screening. Okay. Uh, when we have a positive pull okay, mm-hmm. and we want to kind of get to the suspect, Mm-hmm. Uh, we still do the, uh, the first unconvoluted pulled test right. by ourselves. Okay? Got it. Only then, when we know which individual, then we confirm with a PCR test, which today we are sending to diagnostica. So you're, you're contracting with them for the... We're contracting them for the PCR test. They're an officially registered Ministry of Health lab to do these tests. Uh, we, on purpose, uh, did not want to get registered, by the way, and, uh, and, and the reason is that these labs need to take 70% of their business from the NHF, from the public uh, state, so system, only right. 30% commercial, so they're limited. If we were doing this, we would not be doing the population health
0: screening, which we then believe we would, in. You'd be, you'd be again tipping <laughs> the balance over to the diagnostic side. And
2: tipping the balance on the diagnostic side, which, again, me personally, as a physician, I believe in very much. But when I put my hat on as a you know, population health uh, guy, then I say, no,
0: this is not the way. Yeah. Um, parents, I'm just noticing lots of comments from teachers in the stream here, answering your questions about PE and music and outside activities and things. Thank you, teachers, for jumping in here and helping to answer all of these questions. It's, it, it's quite brilliant. And parents, please review this, because I think that'll really help you answer the question. Um, let's see. Oh, thank you. Uh, Raymond talk, uh, has asked a question about uh, awareness of non sharing of personal and school items like pens, notebooks, phones. Um, that's going to be part of our instruction format uh, for all of our kids across age levels. Again, age appropriate, but we're going to be requesting that everyone think about reducing uh, shared surfaces and shared items. And I know teachers are working on this in elementary classrooms. Again, not as critical because of the testing, because of the community health, because of the standards, but still trying to add that and continue to make that part of our learning and understanding of how we need to live in this world. Because again, it's another thing like mass that translates to the outside world. Don't, and we tell our kids this all the time when they're growing up, right? Don't touch that. Don't put your mouth on that. Don't put that in your mouth. And, and, and it really has heightened to a new level now with the risk of virus on surfaces. Although Dr. Olishuk, as we have talked about, there's not as much of an issue with surfaces. It really is airborne particles that are our primary concern. Am I right on that? All
2: right, there is no evidence at this stage that there is transmission from surfaces. So there is evidence that the virus survives on surfaces, but at this stage, we don't have any evidence that yeah. the virus actually will be transmitted through uh, contact with a surface, okay? Obviously, there may be an incident, okay, when somebody has been coughing on their table, and then somebody else comes to the table which has not been cleaned, uh, and this first person was infected, and then the second person touches the table and then touches their mouth. Okay, you know maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, but uh, in any other instance, uh, I would not see it as a as an issue, to
0: be honest. As a primary issue, yeah. Um, We are talking, I know, and it's too early for us to say this, Dr. Olashuk. but we're talking about parent testing and wrapping that into our regime. And we're working on the details of that since that's outside of our current contract. Uh, I think we've actually got some numbers in there to help guide us in setting this up. What do you think? About two, three weeks, and we should be able to come up with a plan for parents to opt into? I think so. Yeah, I think
2: I think uh, maximum two to three weeks, and that was uh, you know that was that were the discussions that we were having. That uh, you know the bigger the bubble, the better for everybody around because when you have parents, then obviously the the whole household household is safe. Then the two households are safe, um, and 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 that's that's the approach, you know. And uh, and I think that's uh, kind of a bottom up approach to population health. Yeah, uh, because obviously the governments again are reluctant because. From a governmental standpoint this is a huge cost you know if that were to happen but mm-hmm. uh, when you transfer it to the individual then the cost is not so much you guys are covering it obviously for the for the kids and the staff right now uh, but uh, but yes we should be ready i think with a maximum within two weeks
0: to, uh, have that great news um and again parents this is about creating that safe environment and and that bubble and and Dr. Ulrich, you just said something that resonated with me that I want to push out again. I know that outside of the school, the environment in the world, and particularly in the Poland area, is one that seems to be a growing sense of complacency and a lack of thinking about the social norms that we need to adopt. Uh, I myself have been out and about a little bit, not very much, because. I wanted to see how things were going, and we're seeing a lack of um, acceptance of mask wearing in settings where social distancing is not possible. Certainly some of the uptick numbers is probably related to a lack of being diligent about these processes. But here's the good news. If we have this community that we're testing and doing it as a public health uh, uh, option, what we're really creating is a safe zone for you to mix within that community. This was all inspired by the parent who wrote to me last year and said, hey, my family has been locked down. We've been very good. We know this one family down the street is also done like us. Can our kids play together? And I, at, at the time we were all locked down and I said, I, I'm not sure, I don't know. And when, I, when we talked to the medical professionals, we realized, that's the bubble. That's the safety factor. And that means that our kids, as well as you as families, have the ability to mix freely with each other and know that you're in this trust and safety bubble um, that is provided for by this due diligence. But we all have to commit ourselves to not exposing ourselves outside the bubble. So we have to adopt safe practices. That means avoiding travel. That means avoiding going to places where you're exposed to others and create a risk to this community as a result. That means you're gonna have to have serious conversations with your kids, particularly our older students, and make it very clear that this is not possible during school time and while we're creating this safe bubble To have that level of freedom where you can just go anywhere and do anything, that's not working and it's not going to work for us. It does not create this atmosphere of trust that we have to establish to keep school open and keep us engaged in learning the way we want to be learning We have to all agree to and adopt those practices. And in many ways, that's what's behind the daily attestation and the questions is assessing that risk level so that we can protect the community. And it speaks to our core value. We are literally all in this together. We have to prescribe to these standards of practice that protects the bubble. We have to begin to understand that. And we all have a commitment to each other. Wearing a mask isn't as much about protecting yourself, it is all about protecting others. And it is all about living in an environment where we choose to do that because we want to protect others. And whether it's mask wearing or avoiding crowds or staying out of dangerous situations, it is all about adopting those practices and being responsible to all of us as members of this community. So I need your help in this as we continue to push that out and we continue to develop our understanding of what it is to mean to be a safe school. And that's the piece that's missing from just rules and measuring tapes. It is not about that. It is about creating a safe, healthy environment for all of us and the level that we have to rise to to achieve that. So, really, please help us out, and please be thinking about that, and I'm open to continuing that conversation over and over again until we get it right, and we'll work this through together, and we'll be safe, and if we do have to close down at some point because of an infection, we'll have a strategy then to bring us back as soon as possible and reinforce that bubble yet again. want to give a shout out to everybody who's still here. Just a quick, uh, you want to say farewell and uh, any final thoughts. Mr. Sheehan, do you want to kick it off? Anything further from you in terms of getting ready for next week?
5: I just want to say um, thanks everybody for hanging in here tonight and uh, I really appreciate if everybody goes through all the information that's being pushed out by the director and by the school. I know it's a lot, but it's really gonna help answer your questions and prepare you and your children for the first day and first days and weeks of school. And uh, that's really important. And the shout out to the teachers who are hanging on in this conversation tonight too. They have had a busy first few days and uh, they deserve a lot of rest, but kudos for hanging in
0: there. Thanks everybody. Great. Laura, final words.
4: Just wanted to say we're really looking forward to having all the kids back in the building next week. We really miss them. And, um, you know, there was a middle school student who sent in a video that basically said, she really hopes that all the work of Mr. Zerflu and all the teachers, uh, really pays off because she's really looking forward to being back and we all feel the same way. So, um, we really appreciate all of these, uh, you know, bits of uh, safety that we're putting in place for, for everyone. And uh, we're confident that uh, we're, we're going to be able to operate pretty much as, uh, as normal um, with just these few stipulations. So the learning will continue um, and the growth will continue. And we're going to have a good time next week. So um, good night.
0: Thanks, Ms. Burson. Mr. Krager, how about you, middle school?
6: You know, I'll just echo some of what a uh, few others have said. This is the moment that students and teachers and, and educators around the world have been dreaming about for months now, and it's, it's, real, it's back. It's real school. So tell your kids, get ready. We're fired up, and we can't wait to get them back
0: to school. Thank you, sir. Mr. Flatiger elementary, take us out.
3: I'd really just like to say congratulations to this community Um, you've proven last year and you're proving once again that this is an outstanding community who pulls together when necessary and everything you did with virtual learning last year was second to none honestly and as a newcomer coming in I can honestly say that I have I have seen tremendous things and I want to say congratulations to uh, to John and to the whole team who have put absolutely outstanding things into into practice here that uh, your children's safety is absolute paramount in all of our minds and um, i feel very encouraged by everything that i see that we are ready to open and ready to rock and roll and have a really great year so thank you very much
0: thank you sir carol you helped me start this off you want to pop in and just give a final word
1: yeah, I just wanna um, echo what Michael was saying. I think the, the power of our community is that we ask lots of questions and we're really growth orientated. We're learner orientated. And so keep asking those questions. That's how we get better. That's how we think about things that we may not have thought about before. Um, so, so thank you to everyone, to teachers, to parents for all your contributions, your, your ideas, your questions, your comments. Um, they're really, really gonna help us open school really, really well and have a fantastic year.
0: Thank you, Carol. Dr. Olesiu, final words from you. you're our wonderful partner here and we so appreciate having you on the team. Anything final from you?
2: No, and first of all, thank you for having me on the team. I I feel like, uh, you know, being at school again and uh, if if I didn't convince uh, my kids, schools to adopt the same approach that you have adopted uh, i would be thinking very hard to send my kids to uh, the american school of force <laughs>
4: well
2: thank you for that <laughs> so so again thank you for uh, for um, for adopting me as uh, as part of the team and i'm uh, i'm particularly honored and uh oh i also want to thank the parents for having uh all those questions and uh uh, and asking them, uh, this is absolutely the, 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 the right approach and we are extremely uh, pleased to be in this conversation and, and we want to continue. So I I, I I commit to you guys, like last time I committed, that I will be supporting you throughout the year. I will continue supporting you throughout the year and anytime you need me, please uh, just shout and I will join the Wednesday uh, town hall. It's, uh, it almost feels like uh, my my new weekly uh, Uh, routine you know this uh, Wednesday (laughs) evening and uh, my wife and my family have already gotten used to this Uh, so uh, again happy to be part of the of the community and and I look forward to meeting you all uh, very soon
0: brilliant thank you sir appreciate your efforts so much Um, That's going to be it for us, I think, tonight then. A couple of quick uh, things that I just want to throw out there. Um, The OK for School app, Eminent. So be watching your mailbox for that. Thank you to parents who filled out your consent forms in PowerSchool. You almost all are done. I think there's just the last few hundred or so. And I sent a, a reminder message out to you tonight. So hopefully we'll tick the rest of those off. Uh, I thank you for doing that and for staying abreast of things in PowerSchool. Check out the quick links and make sure you're following all the information there. We continue to add things all the time there to uh, keep you informed. We'll keep our Wednesday night format and maybe others in between. Uh, We're gonna keep going on this so that we can keep you in tune with things. Uh, We'll keep updates coming uh, in a regular fashion, although we'll now settle into e-notes and our usual pattern for communication uh, every Wednesday night. Uh, but please, uh, if there are questions in between, uh, just send them to us. We'll definitely answer them and get back to you and make sure that we're keeping you all nurtured in this place we call school. So, thank you again, one and all, for joining us tonight. I think at our peak, we had about 90 plus. Uh, The recording goes out on the podcast shortly after this, just about the time it takes me to download it and post it. Uh, So watch for that and feel free to watch it and share it with friends. On the podcast, it's available to everyone, so you can share it with family members and others if you want to give them a sense of what we're doing here in Warsaw at the American School. So have a pleasant evening, everyone. Uh, Really enjoy having your collaboration, partnership, and we're looking forward to seeing you uh, both in the days ahead as you're coming in for your testing appointments, but most importantly as you join us for school next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One and all. Here we go. Going to tee up the music and we'll talk to you next week.